BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing the CFL's new women in football program. Chris Morris's reasoning for CFL scoring being down. Jeremy O'Day's thoughts on Charleston Hughes struggling in 2021. Struggling. Hey, the CFL and CFLPA starting to negotiate a new collective bargaining agreement. And Shy Ross's viral barbell backflip. But first. The Argos and Stampeders voted in favor of playing four-down football during the league meetings in Toronto at the end of March. The fact four-downs even went to a vote, fellas, is a story in itself. What are the takeaways for the future of three-down football in the CFL? I mean, I I think it's good that the CFL is continuing to evaluate and investigate the best ways in which they can engage fans. But to me, this should have been a non-issue from what we discussed on last week's show when the market research was already done. Randy Ambrosi has talked about the market research that the CFL did in January. And presuming that that market research was the same as the independent poll done by Angus Reid in December, literally just weeks earlier, people don't want this. And anybody who scrolled through CFL Twitter in the last year can tell you this as well, that fans do not want four downs. So I think that the CFL should embrace new ways to make the three down game more exciting. And I absolutely think that there are ways in which the game can be improved because, yeah, the product on the field in 2021 was not as good as it has been in the past. So I am surprised and, to be honest, disappointed that we have teams in this league voting for four downs because we know it's not what people want. It might be what these teams want. I guess that's why you cast the vote. But if you don't believe that your fans will like the change, I have no idea why somebody would back this move other than their own, I suppose, personal and maybe selfish opinion. As much as I harp on Randy Ambrosi, and as much as he deserves it a lot of the time, sometimes we can have a little bit of misdirected anger towards the commissioner 
when he's really just a puppet for the guys behind the scenes making a lot of these decisions. I think this vote shows that. But what I took issue with this week is that this story won't die, and it's because Ambrosi keeps adding new fuel to the fire. He went on the record saying four downs was off the table. It was done. He promised to go three downs. All he had to do was every time he was asked, say that exact same line. No changes. Rehearsing in the mirror. I don't care. Instead, he starts to critique uh, our colleague at Sportsnet, Arash Madani. And whatever you think of Arash Madani, he has the receipts. Every time he brings out this stuff about the league meetings, we know it's accurate. And all of a sudden, there's a whole new life to the story that should have been over a week ago. It is 100% truthful, guys. We know it. We heard it around the CFL Combine and afterwards. For certain, the Argos and Stamps, for anyone out there that doesn't want to believe Arash Madani, who, oh, by the way, has won the best reporter in Canada in the sports category award before. If you don't want to believe that, dude, well, we're giving it to you right now. The Argos and Stampeders voted for four downs. That is factual. And JC, I agree 100% with what you said. And Rosie could have came out months ago in the weeks leading up to the league meetings and said, hey, we're not going to play four down football. But the truth is, it was discussed behind the scenes for a decent amount of time leading up to those league meetings in Toronto. And that's why I said off the top, the fact that it even got to a vote is a massive story in itself because, fellas, in the long history of the league, that alone has never happened. There's never been a vote on whether or not the league should play three-down football or four-down football. And, oh, by the way, two teams voted for it. So do we actually really believe the commissioner when he says that they're committed to four-down football? Sorry, three-down football? I think they might be going towards that commitment with four-downs, even though I had a little slip there. So to me... I really get the sense overall that as we go along here, there could be more traction to this. They certainly want to cool down that hot seat and all the fervor that's been directed at Ambrosi, rightly or wrongly. Sometimes he is the messenger, but behind the scenes, he had presented to the general managers and head coaches and presidents the possibility of going to four down. So this is something that is not going to go away until there is a definitive, in my mind, statement that we will never go to four downs. And if we can actually believe the person saying that, whether that's Ambrosi or somebody else in the commissioner's chair. I'm not sure the CFL should come out and say that because, you know, never say never. And I'm I'm not an advocate for four downs. Anybody who's listened to this podcast for any length of time would know that. But I do think that it's a bit of a fool's errand to be speaking you know, theoretically in perpetuity, right? If 50 years from now, when, you know, we are, you know, none of us are covering the CFL. Well, maybe JC still will be. He's only 24. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying, right? 50 years from now, I don't think that anybody involved in the league or covering the league can speak on behalf of the league or what will or won't be happening, right? We Nobody knows what the future holds. But I do think that Ambrosi should come out and say, you know, for the foreseeable future, like don't put a, don't put a, put a, put somewhat of a limit on it, but for the foreseeable future, because again, I don't know anybody who wants this. And the independent polling has said that nobody wants this. The only people who want this apparently work for the Toronto Argonauts and Calgary Stampeders. 
And uh, to me, I, I don't see a pathway for the CFL to make any type of inroads with four downs. And I did think it was suspicious, guys, when we were on the nine CFL head coach GM conference calls that took place on Zoom leading up to the combine uh, routinely. Right. Guys were asked, how do you feel about four downs, either personally or how does your organization and it was very non-committal. I think by the time we worked our way from east to west, people weren't even asking the question anymore because nobody was answering it. It was no comment or it was very, you know, just a tepid, oh, well, right now we're working on, you know, the most exciting three-down game we can. Similar line to what Ambrosi has been giving recently in his media availabilities or or when speaking to, to independent media companies. So I, I thought that was interesting, the fact that nobody was weighing in on it. Nobody was seeming to offer a strong opinion, though, of course, we know this was seriously being talked about behind the scenes. That's the key, Hodge, right there, is the fact that there was some carefully constructed public relations going on. Because through each one of those availabilities, and you sort of alluded to this, the message was essentially, we want to focus on making three-down football the most fast and entertaining brand of football we can. And that was literally what every single person said as they were asked on the list. And you said it as well. That's what Ambrosi said. So behind the scenes, I'm sure there was a talk about, all right, everybody's going to get asked about this. This is what you're going to say because it doesn't make them commit one way or another. Let's give an example, okay? Mike O'Shea, born and raised Canadian. Arguably the best Canadian defender in the history of the CFL. You don't think that he wants the game to stay three downs, but yet he has to have the best interest of the league in his mind right now because of his position. So he is a very passionate guy for people that don't know. For him to bite his tongue on this issue, in my mind, would have hurt a lot. And that's just one example. You go across and look at the guys that are in power in this league or in those positions of leadership on the football operations side, I should say. And the majority of my majority behind the scenes, I think, would tell you that they want to stay with three down football because that's the core. That's what makes the CFL unique. But they were told. In my mind, and this is just speculation, but I think it's proven out what to say. It's very clear that the commissioner and the board of governors, they had everyone circling the wagons, just making sure everyone was on the same page and that they, they didn't take any more flack for this. But to your earlier point, Dunk, about the possibility that this can snowball and come back again, maybe not next year, but a couple of years down the line. I think what was really concerning to me is the two teams that ultimately voted for it. Toronto, I think everyone expected, but Calgary, now that was a bit of a, a curveball, in my opinion. And I think a lot of people around the league wouldn't have expected someone like John Huffnagel, who we see as a longtime, you know, a CFL Hall of Famer, one of those legends who should be protecting the game to be someone who might side with the four down issue. But in this case, we see a guy who, has loved the CFL, has been around the league, changing his mind, suggesting this type of fundamental change, and there could be more guys like him in the future. And it should be noted that Huffnagel, rightfully so, is respected around the league, and more importantly, at the Board of Governors level, and certainly he is very respected by Ambrosi. So if he's voting for something, 
and the fact that it even got to a vote, as I said, is a story, then this certainly has traction down the line. As much as the CFL wants to turn the story and put the focus on the 2022 season and playing three down football, this is not going away behind the scenes. That's why we're here because the fans need to know that. Yeah, and for the record, uh, we do not own the URL for Down Nation. So, uh, <laughs> if and when uh, if and when a uh, a change does take place, you can find us at I don't know, uh, Justin Dunk CrossFit Workout We'll have to wait and see. It's a legacy brand, man. Three Down Nation <laughs> will always be there because it's so close to fans and their hearts, right? That's what they know Canadian football to be. I will say we should sort of present the other side. There was a WhatsApp discussion going on between me and my buddies actually today. They were kind of joking around with me about what's going on in terms of three downs or four downs. But a few of them actually said that if they went to four down football, they would check out a CFL game. We're literally, and I said this in the group, I'm not going to bore anybody with the CFL talk because I know they know they all love NFL. So that would at least get that group interested. And I think that's the other side we need to present here, fellas. That's what the CFL is looking at, is how can they go about this potential change, we should say, in a careful way to attract that group or that generation that they perhaps lost. And if it even gets them to tune into a couple games, that's what you're looking for, because then hopefully you can grab them. But also it's a tricky situation because how do you do it without alienating your fans like I've heard it said around the league that if you're a fan a diehard fan of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are you really not going to cheer for them if the field changes or if they change the number of downs well we might find out in the future but I think that's the other side to present here is that at least it piqued the interest of a couple mid 30 year old buddies of mine who all played three down football with me at the University of Guelph. I think sometimes that can be a little bit of a, a false equivalency, though. They say that they're going to be interested when it's four downs, but will they really? I mean, I don't see people lining up to watch the USFL or the XFL in Canada, and that's four downs. I don't see them lining up out here to go to you know SFU games over UBC games because it's four down American college football. I mean, people go to what they think is the best, and, and right now we have a dynamic that's happened where the NFL has gained so much tra traction with the rise of the internet age and, and globalization that it is a monopoly, right? Everyone knows the NFL brand and they think it's the best and anything beneath it, right, is, is not good enough to pay attention to. So they might say that they'll check it out if it's four downs, but will they really? I doubt it because they don't check out other levels that are already four downs beneath the NFL right now. Yeah, and Dunk, how many of those buddies were at the Bills games when they played in Toronto? <laughs> there was a handful, but it's definitely valid. We're just trying to present all the scenarios. I, I, right? and I think and the I, points you guys make are certainly valid. And that's, and that's fair. I'm sure there would be, and the numbers do bear this out if you look at the polling. There are a subset of younger people, and, and it certainly is shifting in terms of the demographics. Younger people are flocking to the NFL in droves and i think if you're the cfl you look at that and you say okay uh first things first we need to stop competing directly with the nfl as much as we can and move up our season which has been talked about that's been talked about for a long time 
And secondly, I think you need to ensure that you are a premium betting option because we know that young people love to bet on football and the CFL is moving towards that, obviously, with the legalization of single game betting in this country uh, to, uh, you know, first of all, occurring and second of all, rapidly growing. So I, I think that those are the things you key in on. And hey, if, if the thing people don't like about about three down football is punting, then just get rid of punts. You have to go for it on third down. At that point, it is four down football. But you know, the third down actually matters. But my point is, I, I, I don't know. I don't put a lot of stock into people who say, hey, you know, I, I, I don't care about you now, but I would care about you if you change this about yourself. I don't know. You're in or you're out. We got to move on, boys. Otherwise, we're going to run out of time. Three-time Great Cup champion and current University of Alberta head coach Chris Morris believes the pervasive Mark Trestman offense scoring offensive system is to blame for the decline in scoring league-wide. Is he on to something? I think he exaggerated some of his analysis in, in saying that they're under the same coaching tree. Cause if you look at the offensive coordinators a, across the league, that's not necessarily true, but I believe there's a very large grain of truth to what he's saying in the sense that that system has become pervasive, even to people who aren't uh, connected to Tressman necessarily. And there just isn't very much offensive variation across the CFL anymore and defenses. And this has been talked about, by multiple coaches and execs over, over the last couple of years have gone to a zone system, you know, give they're, they're willing to give you all the short stuff and make you make the mistakes to stop you from scoring. They're not giving you the big plays because they know that that offensive system dictates that you take all that short stuff first. And that's a big reason why scoring is down. You see a couple of years ago when, when June Jones comes in with the Hamilton Tiger Cats, he's able to give a little bit more flavor to that offense and, and put Brandon Banks in a, in a position to, to do some big things at receiver. And that, to me, is what we need more of in the CFL, is guys with a unique perspective, a unique offensive philosophy, willing to do things a little bit differently. It doesn't have to be massive, just a little bit differently to challenge these defenses so they don't have to, so they can't, play the same defense against every team and have the same level of success. I was talking to somebody in the league about this. And what I mean by this is Morris's comments. And they said, you know, the CFL goes through ebbs and flows, just like everything else in cycles where the defenses get the best of the offenses for a few years and the offenses will come back around. But he felt like this point from Morris was spot on that you look down in the NFL right now, especially Sean McVay and his coaching tree and, I'm sort of singling him out because he won the Super Bowl with the Los Angeles Rams, but his coaching tree, you mentioned him earlier, Hodge, even though he didn't really like the field in Winnipeg, but Matt LaFleur <laughs> is in Green Bay. And then you have other guys spreading throughout the league. Kevin O'Connell, I believe it's in Minnesota from his staff as well. So you have this offensive innovation seemingly continually going on in the NFL, which has raised their points level. Now there have been some rule tweaks as well, but you look at the recent head coaching hires in the CFL or the guys that are head coaches right now outside of really Paul Apelice and Kahari Jones. Well, I should say even Ryan did when he's in that boat, but it seems to me like the guys that are be being more successful, Michael Shea and Orlando Steinauer, just to name a couple, because they've been in the last two great cups were either defensive minded or very much special teams. And I say that with O'Shea because of his special teams coordinating background. So I think we're just in a cycle right now where the offenses are down, but we certainly need 
some innovation. And the guys around the Ticats will tell you when June Jones came in there, there was a new energy because of what he was putting in. And you mentioned it with Brandon Banks and his ability to have his first 1,000-yard receiving season. And it was a little over half a year at receiver there. And he really gets going. Masoli had his best seasons under June Jones in that offense. And Paul Appley smartly, we saw it in the latest episode of Behind the R, went back and looked at that tape from 2018 where Masoli threw for over 5,000 yards with Jones there and wants to put some of the things that Masoli feels comfortable with in his offense. So I think we need a little more of that where the Eagles get peeled back a little bit and you have it tailored to the quarterbacks and the players of actually what they like best. And certainly you would like to see some offensive innovation. Now I think Lapalise did do that in Winnipeg, made a lot of window dressing, but they had sort of a core group of plays, whether it was in the passing game or the running game that really worked well for the Bombers. But we need to see that continually each year for the scoring to go up. I'm uh, I'm not a big X's and O's guy. I'll, I'll leave that, that stuff to you guys. But I will say this. You mentioned Sean McVay. The Rams have an offensive coordinator, an offensive assistant, a running backs coach, pardon me, two offensive assistants, a running backs coach, a receivers coach, no line coach, and an assistant quarterbacks coach. And I do think something that has probably stunted the growth of a lot of CFL offenses is the fact that so many of these guys, and you listed off the offensive head coaches, Dunk, they're not only their own OCs, but they're their own quarterbacks coaches in many respects. And if you've got that much on your plate, I don't know how much time you have to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to do a deep dive on this team or this offense or this new innovation that's being done elsewhere to potentially bring that into the fold, even in the offseason, right? Being a head coach is a lot of work. There's a lot of, of contact that needs to be made with different people, different players. You have to build your own staff. And so, you know, if you're going to look at ways to innovate, I think you also need hands on deck. And that's something that the CFL's operations cap has really limited. It's made it very hard to have a robust coaching staff. And so looking from the outside, again, as someone who's not terribly X's and O's uh, affiliated, I think that's something that the CFL could look at is, hey, let's 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 maybe have more than one person coaching on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, I know some of that's out of the CFL's hands because the teams at the end of the day hire and, and decide their own hierarchy. But the cap, I'm sure, has not made things easier in that respect. The other element with that, Hodge, is, is salaries and costs, right? Capping that out and simply the economics have changed from back in the day. But when we had a lot of offensive innovation in the CFL, you saw guys taking the route where instead of being a college position coach and then a college OC and then a college head coach and then jumping to the NFL, guys would come to Canada and bring brand new offensive ideas like a Mouse Davis and we would entirely change the way the game was played, and then the NFL would steal from that. In the current modern situation, that's simply not feasible for most people. Like Teams cannot attract these up-and-coming young coaches because they can get paid similarly uh, at a high-level NCAA institution to be a position coach, whereas in the past, that same guy might have become the brightest offensive mind in the CFL. Now he's coaching Pitt's wide receivers instead. It's a great point, JC, and Hodge alluded to it as well with the football operations cap, that if you want to just look at tweaking the game and potentially going to four downs and thinking that that's going to change scoring and be your one-shot cure-all, that's not the case because I really think if you look at it in layers, this is a major issue. 
that you don't have those young up and coming developing coaches coming to the CFL as much anymore because they can't make as much money. And there's just not the amount of positions. You're literally capped on the amount of people that you can have there, but it's also got to be worth it. You got to be able to make a living and provide for your family. Like some of the coaches in the CFL right now are, I don't want to say rough in it, but they're really grinding it out, hoping to hit that home run in terms of getting a head coaching position, be it in the CFL or potentially in the NCAA or maybe even in U sports, because that's going to pay them a decent amount more money than they're making right now. So I really think that's the issue. And Hodge made a smart point that you have these guys like Orion Dinwiddie, who's the head coach, who is the offensive coordinator, who's the quarterback's coach, and also now has his hand in the personnel because he wants to make sure that he's getting players that he feel like could fit his scheme the best or fit into the locker room the best. And that's what he should be doing. But when you have so many things to be doing, like we all know this, you can only focus on so many things and there's only so many hours in the day. So as much as these guys grind and get after it, we're not saying that they don't. They're being limited by the football operations cap. So I think that is something that should have been discussed more at the rules meetings or the next league meetings that, hey, we should increase this cap. We want those offensive minds, like JC said, coming from the NCAA or coming from high school football in the States or wherever they maybe come from across the globe, heaven forbid, Ambrosie would love that, to improve <laughs> the scoring in this league. And June Jones is a perfect example of it. But then he was only in the league for a couple of years and kind of got run out of town really for no reason. Like, let's get June Jones back in here, run on that offense, because we know it put up stats and challenge other people to change what they're doing to put more points on the board. On a more positive note, gentlemen, all nine CFL teams will have one woman join their football operations or business administration departments during training camp this year as part of the league's new women in football program. It's about damn time, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And I'm going to use Amanda Ruler as an example here because she spent the 2021 U Sports season coaching at McMaster University, but dearly, really wanted to be in the CFL and had made contact with a couple of teams, but was denied that opportunity despite having a great resume, being a hustler. And oh, by the way, she's the strongest woman in her weight class in the province of Saskatchewan. So she has that strength and conditioning background that could add in as well. We just talked about the football operations cap. She could have helped the team in 2021 in multiple ways while also learning from some experienced coaches. So in my mind, this is late. They're trying to catch up to the NFL. And it's just for training camp, fellas. we got to remember that. Right now, I hope that this program springboards someone like Ruler or the other women in this country that want to aspire to those positions and not just last for training camp. Yeah, I'm about a foot taller than Amanda, but I know full well she could kick the crap out of me if she wanted to. <laughs> My goodness. She could snatch you in a second. Oh, she she could break me in half um, over over her head. I, admittedly, I don't know what a snatch is because I I'm not a weightlifter, but she could she could break me in half over her leg, no problem. Um, but I will say this: I mean, it's only a training camp program, right? It only it only runs about three and a half weeks, but it's a great start, right? It's a start. It's not a solution. Um, it's just one step of the journey. So I do applaud the CFL for this initiative. Um, it would have been nice to see something full length, but coming out of the pandemic, obviously 
you know, budgets are tight. I appreciate that. This is a lot better than nothing. And I'm interested to see as part of the announcement from the CFL, they said the teams are basically being left on their own to formulate what this programming will look like and what this mentorship will look like. So I'm interested to see and hear from some of the women who are selected as part of this initiative to hear what kind of things did they do? What are the kinds of things that they saw? What was the type of experience they gleaned? This announcement came out literally 30 minutes before we sat down to record the podcast. So it's very recent, uh, but I am excited to hear what it is they learned and what it is they were able to glean from this experience. I wrote about this just over a year ago now, but this is an area which the CFL has fallen behind on compared to the NFL in, in recent years. We, we think of the CFL as a league where progress and diversity is always at the forefront, but on this particular issue, and I think it does have something to do with the smaller coaching staffs and the football operations cap, there simply isn't as many females in prominent football positions in this league as there are down south, and it's not even comparable in in terms of percentage either. Um, you know, in the past, we've had people like Joanne Pollock break barriers. You know, Catherine Reich, who's now down in the NFL and will one day be a, an NFL GM, I believe, who should have been a CFL GM at some point uh, if someone had played their cards right. But this is a, a great step in the right direction. And hopefully, I think it'll be something like the Bill Walsh, Bill Walsh uh, Diversity Fellowship uh, down in the States for the NFL where people are brought in for training camp, but you look at someone like Henry Burris, who eventually turns that into a full-time gig. And so hopefully that's what this is for these women. Ideally, it's that chance to at least get a foot in the door, even though it is just for training camp. Hodge, I thought you made a great point there that at least it's a start, right? It's a step towards that progress. And hopefully for the women that get those opportunities, they take it and run with it. Because at that point, it's going to be what you make of it even though we might all agree, I feel like that it is a little bit late. At least the CFL has come out with this initiative to get more diversity because they like to say it. They got the T-shirts. Diversity is strength to get my, more diversity in the league. GM Jeremy O'Day didn't feel vindicated that Charleston Hughes had a poor season in Toronto after leaving the Riders, saying, quote, I don't think it's about vindication or being right or being wrong. We have to make a lot of decisions every year on players and where they're at in their career. Who knows what the situation would have been if Charleston was back with us, whether he'd have had the same season last year or not. Close quote. Should O'Day feel vindicated? I think he should. He got a lot of flack for letting Charleston Hughes walk and also for letting Cameron Judge walk both of whom ended up in Toronto. And let's just be honest, Charleston Hughes very much looked his age in 2021, was not effective for the Argos, and Cameron Judge lost his starting spot. Dexter McCoyle was the starting weak side linebacker for much of the season as it progressed in Argo land. So I absolutely think O'Day should feel vindicated. It's important. That's, that's arguably your most important job. Right. And personnel is determining when to move on from veteran players. And I think the riders ended up coming out, uh, coming out certainly in the better part of this deal and letting those two walk and reinvesting in their young talent they already had within that organization. There are only three certainties in life, boys death, taxes, and rider fans being upset when a veteran player is let go. (laughs) (laughs) Like Charleston Hughes is one of the best players in CFL history. He should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. 
an incredible athlete. But the idea that some of his age wasn't going to fall off a cliff at some point was patently ridiculous. Fans shouldn't have been as upset as they did. And it's clear that Jeremy O'Day made the right call here, despite pressure to do otherwise. He did. And he took a lot of heat, especially about the Hughes decision. And admittedly, O'Day said, hey, it wasn't like we didn't want to bring him back. But as they worked through the process, and I think it really came down to the salary cap number, and especially the signing bonus, they didn't see eye to eye on that. So Hughes leaves for the Argos. But O'Day was lit up by fans there and even some media. So the fact that this situation had played out like it did doesn't even make O'Day one year too early like you want to be if you're a general manager in pro football. He was spot on because the last season that Hughes had with the Riders, seems like forever ago when he suited up for them, was 2019. He led the league in sacks, fellas. I believe it was 16 sacks in 17 games. And there were some people that pointed to the back half of that season and felt like his production fell off. But I don't care. He still finished with 16 sacks. And I can remember that cute quote from former Argos, we'll just call him assistant general manager, John Murphy, saying, thank you very much for Charleston Hughes. Well, it turns out the Riders said thank you very much for offering more money and taking Hughes off their hands. I think it's time for Hodges' heritage moment, boys. It's a somber one today. On this day in 2018, 16 people lost their lives in the Humboldt Broncos bus crash. One of the deceased was Tyler Bieber, who served as the team's radio announcer. Bieber spent years covering the CFL and was best known for running this at CFL Daily Twitter account, which had almost 10,000 followers at the time of his passing. He was also a youth football coach serving as the wide receivers coach for his alma mater at the uni- or at uh, Humboldt Collegiate Institute, coaching their football team. He also coached basketball there. Bieber was a passionate young man who loved football and dedicated his time to serving his community, largely in a volunteer capacity. He was just 29 years old at the time of his passing. I wrote an article the day that his passing was announced. I posted it again on my Twitter account today. I would encourage everybody to go and read it. Um, I I never had the fortune of meeting Tyler, but he was somebody who I greatly admired from afar, and uh, I'm thinking about him today. That's for sure. Prayers up for Mr. Bieber, certainly, and anyone involved with that tragic crash in Humboldt. All right, let's keep moving. Three-minute drill. The CFL and CFLPA have reportedly started negotiating a new collective bargaining agreement. It's all positive right now, fellas, but will it get done in time for camp? I think it'll get done in time for camp because, let's be honest, it has to get done in time for camp. And they've still got five and a half weeks. The Montreal Alouettes are holding training camp in Trois-Rivières. Is that a smart decision? It's certainly got some nice facilities, a nice location for training camp, but it's a little bit far from the main fan base, in my opinion, to be an ideal spot. Trevor Harris floated the idea of giving teams a fourth down when they're on their own side of midfield. Is that a good idea? I like the creativity, but to me it just seems too goofy, so no, let's not do that. Edmonton Elks receiver Shy Ross has gone viral yet again after performing a barbell backflip. I'm curious, do you guys even know what a barbell is? I had to Google it, but I know what a barbell is now. It's like a dumbbell, but longer. 
and uh, I thought that the video was outstanding. It's got more than 2 million views on Twitter. That's awesome. Canadian quarterback Trey Ford finished fifth in the 60-meter final at the U Sports National Championship. How impressive is that? Well, I strained my back last year getting up off the couch. So the idea that someone could be, uh, you know, a national level track athlete and an NFL quarterback prospect, that boggles my mind. Canadian defensive end Luigi Villain posted a 4.75 40-yard dash at Wake Forest Pro Day. Could he be an NFL draft pick? Maybe back end of the draft, but I think you guys would agree. Seems like more of a UDFA if he gets a shot in the NFL. To me, there's some freaks that play that position in the NFL, and I'm not sure he's quite on that level, although he was productive with the Demon Deacon. Running back Daniel Adeboboye feels playing American competition at Bryant University will help him be a successful CFL player. Could he be a first-round choice? I've still got him in the middle of the second round, but I have heard chatter that Adeboboye could sneak into the first round on draft day, May 3rd. Five finalists have been chosen for the John Cornish Trophy awarded to the best Canadian player in NCAA football. Who do you think is going to win it? I think ultimately John Mechie III wins his back-to-back John Cornish Trophy, but it is an absolute travesty that one of the five finalists is not Kyle Hurdle, the right guard from Texas State. He was the best Canadian in the NCAA by far last year, played 12 games, no sacks allowed, only nine pressures. That is insane. I think we have to add one thing to your list of guarantees. Death, taxes, Ryder fans complaining, and JC talking about obscure global players or NCAA offensive linemen. <laughs> well, on a more notable name, perhaps, versatile Coastal Carolina defender Enoch McConzo opts to turn pro and is eligible for the 2022 CFL draft. Could he be a first-round pick? Dunk. It looks like he is a prime candidate to go to the Montreal Alouettes in the first round. So I will say yes, because of course he's from Montreal. Greg Knox left the Ottawa Red Blacks to take a job outside football. Is that a big deal? Well, I mean, he was with that club last year. I think it's, you know, Mike Benavides has absorbed that job and they hired uh, Patrick Berger. I'm going to butcher his last name to coach the DBs. I think the Red Blacks will be just fine. Jeremy O'Day said the Riders are not currently negotiating a contract extension with Cody Fajardo and implied the team would wait to do so until a new CBA is in place. Does that make sense? I think it does for both parties, particularly for Fajardo. I don't think the salary cap is going to go up next year. I don't think anyone in the league does. But in the unlikely situation that it does rise at all or if there's a plan to rise in the future, he wants to be able to capitalize and maximize his value. Wally Buono was on the Mojon Sports podcast this week in which he suggested teams need more experience in the front office, saying, quote, there's times organizations are being run by people who have no experience at all, end quote. Agree or no? Well, first of all, that's not a factual statement because let's say, for example, Sean Burke, the new GM of the Red Blacks, he has no experience running a football team or being part of that? Like, this is ridiculous. I have all the respect in the world for Wally Buono, but you look down at the NFL and we talked about it in terms of the coaching. There's always innovation going on and there's turnover happening. I'll give you an example. Canadian raised general manager Thomas Dimitrov. 
was GM of the Atlanta Falcons for a long time. He can't even get a job anymore because the NFL, in my mind, has moved on. They're about the next thing. We need new ideas in the CFL. So I'm going to shoot back at Buono and say, look it, the guys that are in these roles in the CFL have earned them and they don't have no experience. Sean Burke was with the Ticats for like 20 years, started in community relations and was essentially the general manager for the last number of years there with the Ticats. And that's just one example. It's so funny that Buono, who has been a consultant, thinks that there needs to be more roles for him to be a consultant in the future. <laughs> like there are a lot of people in the league guys that absolutely LOL at this when it came out. And again, I say this with all due respect to Wally Buono. It just doesn't make sense, especially when you look at the NFL. And then also you can't say that they have no experience. That's factually incorrect again, with all due respect. And I'll add this quickly before we go. The three youngest general managers in the CFL right now. We got Sean Burke, who built the Hamilton Tiger Cats back-to-back breakup appearances. Kyle Walters, back-to-back breakup championships with Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And Jeremy O'Day, who had the Riders both years, like literally one play away from, from upsetting Winnipeg in the West on route to the Grey Cup. And by the way, none of them are young. Burke is in his early 40s. And Kyle Walters and Jeremy O'Day are pushing 50. So, yeah, the thought that we the, the problem is not enough old experience, guys. Admittedly, I put in the old part. Wally Buono did not say that. Made me chuckle as well. With all due respect to Mr. Buono. <laughs> Gotta love it for a good laugh. And I can understand where he's coming from. And again, we believe that Buono is one of the best general managers, one of the best head coaches ever to grace the CFL with his presence. We're giving you the feedback from people inside the league right now in these positions. With that, we'll end it. Catch you next week for another edition of the Three Dimension Podcast.